Welcome to another episode of Complete Developer Podcast, the podcast by coders for coders about all aspects of creating your best life as a developer. I'm Will, the accomplished developer and aspiring software architect. And I'm Beej, the journeyman developer sharing my journey in development. Most developers have a decent salary, but some still struggle to make ends meet each month. Whether it's from lack of planning, poor decisions, or lack of impulse control, they just can't seem to get their minds around how to use their money. In this episode, we're going to talk about how to think about your money. We'll discuss some of the wrong ways to think about your money, then go into how you should be thinking about it. But before we get started, Will, what have you been fighting this week? Ah, Lord. I've, uh, as you know, because what the last hour has been uh, dealing with this, I have switched to Linux for my recording box. And so I'm using Ubuntu Studio. I tried the newest LTS. Uh, I was getting a kernel panic, so that didn't work. So we weren't able to record last week because of that. But I tried a previous one, and it came up. I had to fight a little bit with the Scarlet and some other things, but I have a working Linux recording machine now. So that's really, really good. I'm, I'm hoping that this means I can get away from Windows. I mean, I figure the rest of this year is going to be messed up anyway because of all the COVID stuff that, you know, maybe now is the time to go ahead and make the Linux switch. So how about you? So I have been playing around with Visual Studio Live Share. Our UI lead is cross-training to learn some API development. So I'm working with him on what really started off as a side project for me but has now become an official app for viewing our error logs. It's really cool, but uh, he's learning the API side. And then when we get to the front end of it, he's going to teach me the newer Angular stuff. So it's it's kind of a fun collab with him. And uh, we're using uh, Visual Studio Live Share for that. Oh, very cool. Yes. In less cool news, uh, the back tire on my motorcycle blew while I was... Uh, taking a curve about a mile from my house last Saturday. I was giving Amanda a ride to work after a prayer service at church, and uh, I managed to keep the bike upright. And then we had some friendly people. I live out in the country, a lot of friendly people out here. uh, Stop, help us move it off the road. And then one guy even gave us a ride back to my place. So yeah, it was, that was not, uh, not a pleasant day. Got them to come out and pick it up. And, uh, the inner tube had blown. It had been a little bit low. And so when I took the curve, it put pressure on uh, on it and it just ended up costing me. Was that the same back tire that was on there when you moved? No, no. I replaced that tire. Uh, okay, thank back. goodness. <laughs> but the, the people who fixed it are the, the ones who I took it to. And so that was nice. So guys, we're talking about finances. Take your financial confidence to the next level. Lucas Casares is a fee-only certified financial planner and financial coach serving tech professionals with his company, Level Up Financial Planning, virtually out of Fort Collins, Colorado. Level Up Financial Planning changes the financial planning game by empowering you to live your best life regardless of whether you are just starting up and need to build your financial foundation or mid-career and navigating complex and competing goals. 
Best of all, Lucas and Level Up Financial Planning is a fiduciary for his clients, which requires him to act in his client's best interest. He's not a salesman, uh, and it's pay as you go. So you pay as long as you are getting value, and you stop paying him when you're not getting value. So you can find uh, fun, free resources and learn more about Level Up Financial Planning at levelupfinancialplanning.com. The way we think about our money influences the rest of our lives. The way we see ourselves and our money has an effect on the car we drive, the house we buy, the amount of debt we take out, and the amounts and types of investments we make. How you think about money will also influence your family, friends, and those around you. Would you rather spend your bonus on a big screen TV and surround sound system to watch the game with friends or movie night with a family? Or would you rather spend it on taking your family on an adventurous vacation that they won't forget anytime soon? Neither is right or wrong, but the way you spend it will influence your life and other decisions. In this episode, we're going to talk about how to think about your money. We'll start with five ways you are incorrectly thinking about money, and then we'll discuss five ways that you should be thinking about your money. Yeah, and to begin... uh, One I hear all the time is you're looking forward to a big tax refund. Yeah, this one gets a lot of people, even those who make a good paycheck, get caught up in this this like bad cycle here. Yeah, I mean, I I personally look forward to not having to pay anything extra in. Mm -hmm. And that's about as far as I go. But basically what's happening here, if you're getting a big tax refund, uh, it's a sign that you're having too much money pulled out of your paycheck. And again, this is U.S. It's there, Other places have got different systems, but especially here in the U.S. Basically, what you're doing is you're giving your government a no-interest loan with money that you could have for your own purposes while they're deflating the value of that money. Yeah. You'd be better off paying less into the government and putting that money into even just a low interest savings account. Yeah. Or, you know, buy some training and learn something that makes you more money. I mean, just about anything is better than zero interest loan to somebody who doesn't really help you that much. Yeah. I mean, it's, we started off with this one because it's one that Will and I both see a lot just in our daily lives, not just in the development community. But uh, I remember, I mean, I made this mistake too, when I was younger, I thought that was like, oh, this is awesome. I'm getting the tax refund and stuff like that. And it was a guy who put it in perspective for me. Yeah. Well, I do think that that's something a lot of people, especially when you're not making much, you know, too much is coming out of your check because you don't want to get nailed and have a cash flow problem. Yeah. You know, potentially. And so you're looking forward to that because, okay, it's, it's almost like you saved at a slight negative interest rate Mm -hmm. you know now there for a lot of people too you don't have a lot of control over this like your your job may handle this kind of stuff and it's just it's out of your control yeah i mean when i file the form i usually the way i have mine set up is with no deductions and i add like a 150 200 bucks a paycheck to it uh, the reason I do this is because I find it more disruptive to get dinged and suddenly have to, you know, have cash available than to just, you know, I'm I'm okay with getting 
paid back a little bit and not and, and like floating that for a little while, essentially, versus, you know, getting hit with a four thousand or five thousand dollar bill. Yeah. And I mean, it's it's different if you do it on purpose. Yeah. And I just look forward to the paperwork being over. I don't yeah. I'm not like looking forward to the, the big windfall because it isn't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. So the the next thing that people do that they shouldn't is they don't have smart financial goals. So we've we've talked about smart goals a lot and just quickly review. Smart stands for specific, measurable, attainable, relevant and time bound. Right. And a, a good formula to use is I plan to save x amount for whatever the thing I'm saving for, uh, you know, an item, a trip, etc. in this amount of time by this method. Yeah. Uh, and the, the idea here is, is that you're quantifying all the pieces that you need to actually make this happen. Mm-hmm. You're putting that time frame in there. You're saying how it's going to be done. That That is where it's like attainable and relevant. You're saving for a specific reason. And it it may be because like, you can get to a point where saving is more esoteric, where it's more like, all right, I don't have, like, I'm not saving for a new boat. I'm not saving for a new truck or a new guitar. I'm just, I'm saving for a rainy day. I'm saving for, you know, my, you know, I have money for my retirement or I'm putting into an emergency fund. You can still be very specific with that. You could say, I plan to save $10,000 for my emergency fund in the next two years by putting so much in per week. Sorry, I didn't do the math guys. Saying it in general is probably better than doing the math anyway, because people go numb with numbers. I mean, it starts with numb for crying out loud. Mm -hmm. Well, no, you no, that's, that's wrong. You want to actually calculate out the math and have this because that's, you need to have that specific method down. Right. But you don't want to listen to us do it. (laughs) Yeah. You want to do that yourself because you need to have that. The reason that is, is a lot of people save savings for the end of their their budgets. Like it's the end of the month kind of thing. Like it's they wait to save until they've already spent their money for the month. And it's whatever's left goes into savings. And so that's why you want to be very specific with I'm going to, you know, let's say I wanted a new Gibson guitar, like a a new Les Paul. It's like brand new one. We'll say twenty four thousand dollars. I plan to save $24,000, $2,400. Wow, that'd be a very expensive guitar. $2,400 uh, for a new guitar in the next two years by saving $100 a month. You see, you I, I picked that number because it was you know easy to do the math in my head. But, yeah, uh, I see how you mathed it. Yeah, uh, but you see what I'm saying? But that tells me I have to save $100 a month to reach my goal. Right. And... A lot of people don't do that. They they don't start off with, here's what I'm going to put aside for savings before they do their fun stuff. They do they spend their monthly money, and what ends up happening is they spend all their money for the month and don't have anything left for savings. Right. So you budget the savings first, then the bills, then the fun things. Right. I will say a lot of times, you know, when I've done things this way, where the money I save is the money that's left at the end of the month, it doesn't get spent on fun things. It gets spent on like impulse purchases or I'm stressed out at work and I'm going to go out to eat somewhere and eat something a little bit more expensive. And it's not it's not really fun. It's just sort of like you're not paying attention. Mm. 
I consider like I usually spend my money on going out to eat or going to the bar with friends. So yeah, or going to a concert. So that's that's and it's it's for I guess similar reasons. But yeah, it's unplanned fun, not you know fun fun. But actually, what what you're saying leads right into the next point, which is that we tend to have the wrong motivations when we make our decisions. Yeah, and most mistakes with money stem from having the wrong motivations behind the decisions we make. So especially things like ego-driven decisions that can cause you to buy unnecessary expensive things just to give the appearance that you're doing better financially. Yeah, actually, there's a whole uh, thing in sales about this. And I know we talked about it a little bit in the Understanding Sales episode. There's a whole set of tactics around ego-driven decisions and getting people to make those ego-driven decisions when you're trying to sell them something. Right. And emotion-driven decisions is another, mm-hmm. right? Which we kind of hit on a little bit earlier. Um, you know, get impulse purchases such as buying a new car after getting a big bonus or a raise or going and eating somewhere a little bit more expensive after you know a stressful day at work. Uh, your emotional state leads into your spending state in these cases. Yeah. It's funny um, because like you, you see this a lot. Someone gets, this was a big thing in medicine with, uh, with doctors coming out of school. Yep. They'll, they'll come out and they'll have, you know, four or $500,000 in student loan debt. And then they'll suddenly they're making, you know, two, two fifty a year. And rather than focusing on paying off that debt, they're like, Oh, Hey, I've got to go out and buy a fancy car, buy a big house because I'm a doctor. I make a lot of money and I don't have to worry about anything anymore. Yeah. And you see this with even with software developers too. Like if people, you know, they were doing something else that was kind of lower wages and they get into it, they'll get in financial trouble that they would have never gotten in before they went through a coding school yeah. because they, you know, their salary bumped up and, and there's like, oh, now I can do all these things that I couldn't do before. And so they do them and it turns out they couldn't actually do them. Yeah. Yeah, I can I can see that. Um, and the final one is fear driven decisions. Uh, these are acts of desperation, such as selling off long term investments because of a downturn in the market. You know, these are just poor decisions when you're you're scared about something. Wizard's first rule kind of stuff. Yeah. People don't realize, you know, in, in the abstract that, you know, the market does come back around and, and so they will, they'll, they'll sell off or they'll, they'll make a panicky decision. Like I have to buy a house right now because the market's about to go up in a big way. Yeah. You know, I've seen plenty of people getting bitten by that or, you know, they're, they're not necessarily afraid of money matters, but they're afraid of something else. And that makes them spend money at the moment, you know, for whatever reason, their neighborhood's getting a little bit bad. So they, um, they go looking for a house, but they're not as careful as they should be. Mm-hmm. That's expensive. Like if you get a house that's not not a good one, it is not cheap, and it will take you a long time to get out from under it. Oh yeah, I mean, we have a a good friend of ours, John, that that happened to. He thought he was getting a great deal, and he got in there, and it was an absolute mess. And he's still fighting his way. Like he's had to tear out the entire insides of the house, rebuild it. Because he couldn't get out of it. So, yeah, yeah, that happens. Although, you know, considering that, you know, out of all the people we know, he's one of the best equipped ones to have that problem. That's true. And be able to work his way out of it. But 
yeah, it's it's awful for him, and he's good at that stuff. Mm-hmm. Along with wrong motivations, the next one is not fully understanding all your options. This could either come in the form of underthinking or overthinking the choices that you have. Underthinking your choices is basically willful ignorance. You need to make sure you do your research before major purchases or major decisions. Um, Even if you don't think they're going to affect you financially, big decisions can. Well, and they could be part of a chain of events that hurts you too. Like you buy the new car that you can afford and you get home and your air conditioner is out. And so you buy a new air conditioning unit and something else happens and something else happens and all of a sudden you're underwater. Mm -hmm. You know, it it happens to plenty of people. Impatience is another culprit, uh, you know, as far as making poor decisions. You know, car salesmen use this all the time. They, you know, the artificial scarcity, the, you know, you've got to, make this deal real quick or you're not going to be able to get this car because somebody else is going to get it. Yeah. That, and they, they use this tactic where they try to wait you out. I know I've talked about this before when I bought my first truck, I was in school and, uh, I just camped out at the guy's desk because it was free coffee. So I had my laptop and my textbooks and I just like took over his desk with all my school materials And I sat there and studied while he talked to the manager about the, the offer. He, he came back once with uh, not what I wanted. And I was like, Nope, this is what I offered you. This is what I'll pay for it. If you can't do that, that's fine. I'm going to go to Starbucks and study, but uh, you know, uh, and he didn't want me to walk out the door because you're not going to buy if you do that. But what they're doing there is they're trying to make you wait um, and get so impatient with just like not wanting to sit there and wait and bored that you're willing to make a deal that, you know, that's not as good. Yeah. People, when people get rushed, they get dumb. Mm -hmm. And another uh, issue that crops up a lot, and this is one that bites me a lot is overthinking your choices. You know, that's the opposite end of the spectrum and you basically get paralyzed by analysis. So instead of, you know, suddenly making a decision, you don't make a decision at all. Yeah. And you're like, well, I could do this. I could do this. It's sort of like the people that get into software development and learn how to write Hello World in 12 languages. It doesn't help you actually get a job, right? Like you got to make a decision and go with mm-hmm. it. So there's a point there that's a cutoff that you're overthinking. And this is usually the one that I fall to. Yeah. Um, along those lines, uh, simple solutions are usually the best as complication tends to lead to confusion. So speaking of confusion, or at least sort of confusion-like, one thing you also need to do, and this is the next point, is to avoid the hedonic treadmill. And that's a term from at least one site. I've seen it several places, I think, here lately. Yeah, it's it's, it's becoming a popular term. It was just, it was on one of the sites that that I used doing research for this, uh, this topic. And this is the idea that no matter how much more a person gets, either financially or in other areas, they tend to stay at the same level of happiness. Right. And they tend to think that the next thing will make them, yeah. you know, happier. So the more money you make or have to spend, the more your expectations rise, uh, which means that you really don't have any long-term gains in happiness, but you do have a long-term increase in cost. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, the person who is working a job making 40000 a year, 
uh, before they they finish a coding program or being self-taught, they'll go get a job making sixty, seventy thousand, and then a few years later move on up into you know ninety, hundred thousand dollar job, you know, making over twice as much as they were five years previously. They're they're going to see kind of like a quick spike in happiness because they're like all excited and then they'll level out. Um, studies indicate that people kind of have a happiness set point. And while at certain times we can be happier or less based on circumstance, we'll tend to return to that average. Um, and these studies were done on people who were like, I know some of them were done on lottery winners versus people who had been disabled in like car accidents. And they found that, yeah, right after there was big up or down, but even as soon as two months, they were back to their their happiness level. Yeah. And like you were saying, you know, with the lottery winners or anybody that gets an increase, you know, um, it's sort of like, you know, the buying a new car. You're happy when you first get it, but, you know, that goes away. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it becomes the new normal. and you return to that average level. So essentially what we're saying here is that if you, you're not raising your happiness set point is more complicated than just having stuff. Yeah. And actually this is a topic that I added to our Kanban board. I think it would be a great episode topic, but it's going to take some, some serious research on that one to, to come up with some like, all right, how to actually raise your happiness set point. Yeah. And I mean, you and I both know, you know, I know a guy who's reasonably happy who, I mean, his, his paycheck is minuscule. I mean, he's broke. Mm -hmm. He's always broke, but he's a generally happy person. You and I also both know a guy, um, who's making well clear of a hundred thousand a year and he is grumpy and he's always broke too. Like they're both in the same mental state and the 70 or $80,000 per year difference in income made no difference as far as the happiness level Yeah, between those two. So guys, those are the incorrect ways to think about your money. And I wanted to address those first in this episode because I want to contrast them and we're not, it's not a direct contrast, but I want you guys to have that in mind as we go into the correct ways. So you heard us talking about the things that get us with these incorrect ways of thinking about money. Now let's talk about the correct ways that you should be thinking about your money. And first off, we're going to start with the basics. This is less about thinking about your money and just sort of what you need to do or or have done be doing to get yourself in a place where you can really take advantage of it. Uh, and the first one is one that uh, that I struggle with because every time I seem to get a little bit, something happens. And that is building an emergency fund to cover your basic expenses. It, said, uh, it has been said to go three to six months, though nowadays they're talking more like eight to 12. So yeah. our suggestion would be start off with the goal of having three to six months of an emergency fund and then maybe focus your savings on somewhere else and then come back to it. Like, you know, focus savings on buying yourself something nice and then come back to 
all right, I need to build this up a little bit more because you you really want that six to 12 month range in case of a recession. Um, I mean, obviously what's going on now, we had one of our members from Developer Launchpad, he finished up a six month contract right as everything with COVID was starting and he was struggling to find a job because nobody was hiring. Yeah, and the other thing about this, which I've used this more than once, is you may find yourself working for somebody that treats you badly or that's actually straight up immoral. I worked for a company that ended up getting raided by the FBI, and it was really nice to have, I think I had five or six months worth of basic living expenses covered, yeah. you know, as far as savings, because I was, you know, when I got fired for insubordination, I was able to hold out until I got something else. Mm-hmm. That would have been really rough if I hadn't. Um, so it's not just the recession. It's like, look, you never know when you're going to find yourself working for some scum lord. So, you know, be prepared for that. And you also notice that we said basic expenses, right? We're not talking like, look at what your bills were last month and you need six times that. Look at what you actually need to live. You know, what's the bare minimum mm-hmm. first and get there. I actually have two different spreadsheets when I do my annual budgeting. One for, all right, what what are my comfort, you know, like standard living, whatever expenses, and then what are my bare necessities? And uh, and then I, I calculate, you know, all right, this is what I would need for that. Um, and sometimes those go, it fluctuates year to year. It's definitely a lot less expensive living out where I'm living now than when I was living in Nashville. Um, another thing that gets a lot of people is that you should pay off your high interest revolving debt, such as credit cards, as soon as possible. You know, especially if you have like sitting debt on them that's just collecting interest, put focus on paying those off. Will and I both have credit cards and you can use a credit card effectively to gain rewards. Um, you know, like I usually get enough rewards points to uh to buy myself a book or something every month, but then I pay it off at the end of the month. Same here. Um, and all my expenses for the household go through my credit card. Um, that does a couple things. One it's safer than a debit card. They can't empty your bank account. You know, like you can just, you know, you hit up the credit card company and go, no, I didn't do that. So, you know, roll that, that transaction back. But the points, I mean, it really adds up when you have a household. Like I just bought an air conditioner. Yeah. So, you know, $4,800 on, on the thing. So, um, you know, you pay it off at the end of the month. So you have a little bit of time to recover your cash flow and to adjust. So that a lot of times give you wiggle room that you need. But yeah, those points really add up in a big hurry. I tend to let mine pile up. I think I'd forgotten, you know, when I first got the card that it even did that. And so the first time I used points, I had enough for like $1,200 worth of stuff on Amazon. I didn't buy it, but I was like looking at the thing going, I don't even know what I would buy with 1200 <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, but yeah, that's been chipped away, but I did the same thing. I had a credit card for several years before I realized I had points on it. And I think I bought, I bought myself a nice Garmin GPS for my old truck and did all of my Christmas shopping with points. It was, it was nice. And actually, um, before all this stuff happened, I got a, a Southwest card because my mom uses that. Like she has one and she uses that to, uh, to fly to visit my sisters and stuff. And I was like, 
that's a good idea. You know, earn, earn mileage and get free flights. Yeah. I like to travel a lot. So yeah, I'll do that. And of course now, yeah. but uh, I'll say one thing that's kind of nice. Uh, Amanda and I were out at um, Red Robin and we're, we're sitting there. We just ordered our food and uh, she was like, this place is kind of expensive. I was like, yeah, like, you know, I think I got a, like, I could get a gift card for this place um, from my credit card, you know, rewards program. And she's like, that's really cool. And so I looked it up and it was, they had electronic gift cards. <laughs> and a lot of those, you only pay like half or something and you get. The, oh yeah. Yeah. It was a bump up on that too. Yeah. So it was, it was really cool. Um, so yeah. Um, I know a lot of, a lot of financial people will tell you not to have credit cards. Um, like, uh, Dave Ramsey's a big one for that. I have a lot of respect for him. I, I use, uh, his every dollar app for my budgeting purposes. It's a great application guys. You should really check it out. But, and that's the, it's really easy to budget your savings first on that app, uh, the way it's set up. But, uh, that said, I, I don't always agree with him on his, his ideas about debt and stuff. Yeah. I think his thing with the credit card is that if people are not disciplined, like a credit card, you can bury yourself in debt mm-hmm. with a credit card if you're not disciplined about it, but it's like any other tool, yeah. right? You know, when somebody goes, Oh, well, end to end encryption is a bad idea because it can be misused. It's like, yeah, but you know, you kind of need that for other things, you know, like it's a tool. It's not, you know, it's not good or evil. Yeah. I think the big thing here too, is to have, you know, smart goals and an actual plan for how to use your money, partially so that you can figure out what's realistic and partially so that you have something that motivates you like saving money and seeing a bigger number in your check account probably doesn't Mm -hmm. motivate you enough to really do much about it. Yeah. And then finally under the basics is a controversial topic with Will that is auto pay. It can be a two edged sword on one hand. It's very convenient and it helps to ensure you don't forget to pay an important bill. However, it can also cause a lot of trouble if a set bill suddenly changes. Yeah. The trick is to set it so that it's got a limit and it has to have authorization. If it goes over that limit, the thing that got me was Comcast bills and Comcast is still ridiculously high as it is now, I've got to go back and you know circle back and deal with that. But I got hit with a bill for, I want to say it was like $790 mm-hmm. for cable. And what had happened was the TV upstairs when my daughter was little, didn't have the, the stuff on it so that she couldn't order movies. And so it was the same movie over and over again. And she paid. And so, you know, over a period of a month, she watched that same movie. Who knows how many times? Yeah. And yeah, that adds up. I mean, you just got to be, you got to be smart about auto pay and you've got to think about what your cash flow looks like at that point in the month. So you don't want to like put all the bills at the first half of the month because you're not gonna have enough to live on until the, you know, the next part of the month hits and you get your second paycheck. Yeah. So you just have to be a little bit smart about it. You can't, you know, it's passive in the sense that a lot of passive things are that you have to set them up first and get that right. And then it's passive. Mm. It's convenient too if you do use a uh, like a budgeting app, like I said. Um, and we're not getting paid for advertising every dollar. It's just that's well, the one I use, and I really like it. But if um, using that, it like I can just have it 
in there already and set to go, then when like I get a notification when uh, an auto pay happens and I just go, all right, hey, that came out, that came out. So so the the next point under the correct ways to think about your money is money is a tool that you use. Uh, you should work for your money, not the other way around. Yeah. And it takes a minute to get to the point where the money works for you versus you working for it, mm-hmm. right? You've got to have money to make that happen, but always be aiming for that. It's like, what makes me more free to spend my life the way I want to spend it versus what makes me you know, chained to a desk, yeah. essentially, and work in that direction. If you have the mindset that you have to work for your money, then you're allowing yourself to be a slave to it. It's like, I have to work for my money right now, but at some point in the future, I want to be where I don't mm-hmm. or where I have to work less yeah, for it. Yeah. Even if you don't have an abundance, start thinking about budgets and financial planning as a way to control your money instead of a way for it to control you. I know this was a big game changer for me when I made that shift in mindset i i would think about budgeting as a, it was controlling me i was like i can't do this i can't do that because of because i've got a budget and i have to do this when i started thinking about it from the aspect of this is me exerting control over my money and how i use it it really changed the way that I looked at the budget. And when you, when you do that, you're much more willing to, to follow it. Uh, you just, I, I budget in fun money every month because I know I'm going to just go, you know, I don't go hog wild or anything, but I know I'm going to get a random call on a Thursday night. Nowadays it's a text on a Thursday night. Hey bro, you want to go get a beer? You know? And so I have, I have, money budgeted for that kind of stuff. I know I'm randomly going to see something on, uh, you know, on Facebook or something. Go, I I want one of those, you know, and I'm going to spend 10 or $15 on it. And I have money budgeted for that. Yeah. I, I also know that I'm, you know, kind of the same way with it, but it's for me, the, the trick I use, obviously I have the, I have the budget, but the other thing I do is I put the item on a list. Mm hmm in my task tracker app and set it for like two months in the future to go, Hey, do you still want this? Because usually I'll come back and I won't spend the money, but I still set the money aside anyway. Yeah. And so it's like a way to trick myself into saving. It's not a bad idea. Usually it's stuff like I just bought new chords for my guitars because like the old ones were getting kind of loose and spotty and stuff. Yeah. It's just, it's random stuff like that or, you know, pastor will mention a book in church and I'll be like, Ooh, I want to read that book. So I'll, you know, I have, I have a little bit of extra budgeted for buying stuff like that. So like that, I mean, it's, it's a matter of, like I said, using the budget to work for you. Uh, And guys, this is not easy to do, especially at first when you're trying to get control of your money. I mean, it, it's, breaking in a horse or something. I don't know. I I don't know about that, but I've seen some Westerns. So (laughs) yeah, well, I mean, you have to get, get control of it a piece at a time and the reward doesn't really come for a while. Yeah. Right. Like it's, it's all dodging hooves and dealing with a, 
an animal that's agitated before you can ride it. Right. So it is very much the same thing. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's almost like the money is fighting back. I mean, will you, you remember when this happened, uh, I had, uh, worked out a deal. I'd made the mistake of taking out some private student loans. And then when I went through the divorce and leaving med school and the depression and not having a job, like, the federal student loans, they understood that I didn't have a job. So they're like, all right, well, we'll we'll give you a deferment. But the private one put me out to collections for it. Yeah. Even though I'm like, I don't have a job. I, I'm looking for a job. But I like, you know, if you guys can wait a few months, I can make payments. But anyway, so the, you know, I made a deal with the collection agency to like start making payments that I could afford over a certain amount of time. And then they would forgive a certain part of it and they and they made money on it because you know when they sell it they sell it for less than the amount and so i didn't realize this but when that happens uh That's you have income. to pay taxes <laughs> yep and nobody told me that yeah it's kind of like hey we're gonna take less money out of your wallet and we're gonna tax the money that we didn't take out or it's more like you have a hundred dollars in your wallet we wanted $500, but we're going to take this whole $100 and then we're going to tax you on 400 Yeah. Yeah. That's it's I understand why they do it, because it would be almost like a uh, money laundering opportunity otherwise. But still, it's like, look, you know, the money isn't there. Yeah. Like, this is why they got the thing back. Like, the money isn't there. Yeah. I had been saving up for for some stuff at that point when that happened. And it got hit and it was more than what I had saved, but I was able to like make a payment, like a big payment on it, pay about half of it. And then, and then get a payment plan set up with them for it. But yeah, like it just, and that that's what happens. I was, I had spent years in like getting control of my money and making like, it was starting to work for me. And like, I was getting better at budgeting. I was getting that right mindset and I just got slammed hard. Yeah. Like you, yeah, it was, it was rough, but, uh, and that's, that's going to happen guys. And you just have to keep fighting and keep pushing when stuff like that happens. Yeah. I mean, even if you get nailed like that, it wasn't as bad as it could have been. If you hadn't had control of your finances before that. That's true. That's very true. You know, it would have, it would have been a tailspin into a much worse situation potentially. So, so guys, the next point or the next way to think about your money is, Less is more when it comes to spending and happiness. There's a unique situation. I know we talked about the happiness set point a little bit earlier, but there's a unique situation where happiness or just like life satisfaction does not increase much over making around 75,000 a year. Uh, The more nice things you accumulate, the more you have to maintain. You know, it's like a new sports car always in a shop or you get a bigger house. And you're constantly paying for maintenance. Mm -hmm. Um, Just, I mean, I'm looking at mine, right? Like I I had to get new windows this year or well, that was actually late last year. I had to replace an air conditioning unit. I'm trying to think what else I've had to do. I've had to do a whole bunch of stuff, you know, in the last little bit and a bigger house, like it does that. It's not just, Hey, you bought the house, but you, you have a non-zero chance now of some other random event taking more money. Mm -hmm. So it's just not, you know, it's not an improvement. Now I bought my house as a tool, right? Like part of it is, is yeah, I live here, but part of it is, is I make money out of here too. Yeah. And, and the other thing too is, um, 
I think part of the the whole reason for like going above that amount doesn't decrease your happiness. It just sort of you sort of reach a a set or less set point, reach sort of a a satisfaction point around there that having more doesn't increase. And I yeah, because you don't have the anxiety. Yeah, that's I mean that's the thing that it does. It gets rid of the things that you know knock a hole in yeah. you more than it does you know make you float better. Mm-hmm. No, another thing is you're more likely to be happier with more frequent smaller purchases than occasional large ones. In general, buying yourself, you know, uh, spending a little extra uh, once a month on a nicer meal is going to make you happier than buying something big over the long haul. Right. And, you know, on the bigger purchases, you're also going to feel better about them if you delay gratification. So like you don't uh, necessarily buy something right now. You know, you do a little bit of research, you plan, you think about it a bit yeah. more, um, and then you come to a decision and make that decision. Um, you're going to feel better about it. You're less likely to make a bad decision that makes you feel bad, mm-hmm. too. Or you're possibly going to decide not to do something because it's now a decision, not a reaction. Right. Now, what I what I think about this is the guitars I recently purchased because I had gone in with the plan of purchasing, you know, the a cheaper bass just so I could get one in practice. And then I had that opportunity to get the really nice Les Paul um, at a great price, like a fraction of what it would cost brand new. And they had had a similar deal to that at the store before, um, like about a year, maybe less than a year ago. And I didn't do it. I waited. And uh, it was about two days later, I saw that same Les Paul on stage. One of my friends had bought it. (laughs) Nice. Yeah. So I decided like I I decided then I'm like, hey, if they've got another deal like that, I'm going to have money set aside so that I can I can jump on it, you know. And I did. And. Got it. And I'm very, very happy with that purchase. Um, yeah, I think there's really something to the happiness factor when you when you save for something mm-hmm. versus, you know, it's just like I just spent money. Yeah. Uh, like it, it really does change things. It's like a measure of control or something, but it really changes the way how, how you feel about it, no matter what the purchase is. Uh, and speaking of things that you know will improve stuff in general. Um, Focus your spending on experiences, not on things. People tend to think that having more or better possessions are going to make them happy. Uh, that doesn't tend to work as well as doing stuff. Yeah. And a lot of the times the stuff you can do is, is not that expensive. I think my daughter, when she's older, is going to look back on all the times we went to Walmart grocery shopping as, you know, stuff that she's going to remember when she's old mm-hmm. versus, okay, what you know, what kind of laptop did we get her? Yeah. Probably not going to matter when she's fit. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, I know my nieces and nephew, they're going to remember coming over and playing video games, cheesy video games with me or, you know, when I took them ice skating or that kind of stuff, they're not going to remember what I got them for their 10th birthday. Right. One experience I I really remember with my grandfather was going to my uncle's house to feed the pigs while he was on vacation. Mm -hmm. Like, it's amazing the stuff you remember 35 years later. Yeah. 
um, you know, versus what you don't and what makes you feel happy versus what doesn't really bring anything to you. There's always going to be somebody with bigger or better stuff, but they typically are not going to have the same experiences and they're not going to have a better experience. Yeah. Right. Because your experience is you with the people you care about. Mm -hmm. And it's not something that it's not an equatable thing, I guess is the way to put it. We're not saying don't buy things, don't buy possessions. Um, It's funny because Amanda and I were talking about this the other day. I was telling her when I was working on this episode, I was telling her about it. And I was like, yeah, I was like, I, I tend to prefer spending my money on experiences. And she's like, yeah, but you have like a bunch of stuff that you want. I'm like, yeah, but it's all stuff that is experience based. Like it's things that right. lead to experiences or that will that will be based on experiences. You know, for example, I mean, I have a motorcycle, but it's not, oh, I've got a cool bike. It's I've got something that is, you know, it's functional. It gets me around, but it's also a lot of fun to ride. Amanda enjoys riding it. We have a great time on it. I bought like I talked about my guitars earlier. I bought those two new guitars, like the the bass guitar I've been learning to play, and it's opened a whole new world of music to me, you know. And the the Les Paul is just it's phenomenal. It's beautiful. It's amazing sounding. I, I play it every single day. I love like just the feel and the sound of that instrument. And I didn't buy it because it was an expensive Les Paul. I bought it because I wanted that those experiences and like right now I'm learning to play and practicing because that's going to lead to playing with friends, playing with family. My dad plays bass. And so at some point I'm sure he's going to come over, you know, when he's in, in the state, he'll come over and he'll play that bass and I'll play my guitar and we'll have fun, you know, and that's a family experience right there. So when you're buying things, uh, and this is something that it, it took me a while to figure out because I always wanted stuff, but I never had money for it because I was always spending my money on experiences. And it, it took me a while to figure out I should want the things that lead to experiences because it's the experiences that I care about. Right. Stuff just takes up space and you have to pay rent on the space it sits yeah. in. Pay to air condition it. Right. <laughs> so, yeah, it's just I totally get that. You know, so you're basically saying here is, you know, invest in a good camera and going on vacation and stuff like that where you can travel and you can have experiences provided of course that we ever get to do that again. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's true. Um yeah, I mean I mean dude, like I went and got a haircut the other day. It's the first time in like 5 months because I was a little bit behind when they locked everything down. Yeah, I um it's been a bit longer for me and I was so excited. <laughs> I was so excited to get a haircut. I'm like, this is ridiculous. When did I, when did I start my, my job at this? Uh, let's see. That was 2016. So yeah, it's been about four years since I've gotten a haircut. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah. I, I say that like I've gotten it trimmed and like split ends cut, but like actual haircut haircut. Yeah. It's been about four years. So guys, the, the final thing we want to talk about kind of uh, wraps it up and sort of the linchpin of the whole episode here is you want to aim to have enough to live the life you want. Yeah, we talk, we've talked about savings. Save as much as you can early on so that you have the financial freedom to do the things you want, so that you have the financial freedom to walk away from a bad situation, 
so that you have the financial freedom to something I've always wanted to do. I've always wanted to hike the Appalachian Trail. Yep. Uh, it's like a six month thing. And one day when my student loans are paid off, I plan on doing that. I'll be in my 40s, but you know what? I can still do it. I'm going to work towards it and I'm going to do that. If you save enough, you can get a motorized scooter, even if you're in your 60s. <laughs> Probably won't get up and down some of those parts of the trail, but <laughs> you know, but you never know. Hey, maybe the tech will improve. Yeah, the, they might have like yeah. robotic legs that can help me walk. I don't know. I'm yeah. just making stuff up and make this it point. hurt less. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the thing is, is expect to live a long life and plan ahead, you know, so that you have what you need to be able to retire. Um, I know that that's something that is difficult for the tail end of gen x and for you know millennials and gen z because like the the economy's kind of been a mess yeah i mean pretty much when you're spending I mean, since we got out of school yeah when, when you're spending a third of your income just on rent it's hard to save yeah and especially when you know taxes are as high as they are and everything else i mean it, it is really really difficult but you know, understand that you're going to be around a long time and your capabilities are going to decrease. So you need to plan ahead for that. Mm-hmm. Also have a plan about what you want to do when you retire. Um, yeah. You know, like my grandfather, for example, uh, he had to retire early because of a stroke. He was a brick mason and he had a stroke when he was 50 and he couldn't climb the ladders because he was dizzy. And so he had to retire. And that's when he took up building fiddles and see I, I found this out a little later in life. Growing up, I knew him as a fiddle player and fiddle maker. That's how I knew him because he that's like he got into it. He had a shop like a little, it was actually their their pump room there. They had an yeah. old house and uh, he turned that into his woodworking shop and we'd buy him wood every year for his birthday and Christmas, July and December. That's handy. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, yeah, he would, he would make two a year and that was, that was his thing. That's what he did. He loved it. He loved playing. He entered contests, stuff like that. Like that's what he did. He had, he had something that he wanted to do. Now he, he also played golf and he also did other things. He did a lot of preaching and stuff like that, but you know, he had something that he could do that he wanted to do and he enjoyed. Um, that said, I've been looking into it and something that I would love to learn to do and possibly get into like, I don't know, part of me kind of wants to get my PhD and teach college after retiring from software development um, because I love teaching. But I also kind of I'm looking at it. I'm like, I would love to learn to build stuff like build guitars. Yeah, I could see you really enjoying that. Yeah, because I like to work with my hands um, and then I like I like electric guitars, So like, I get to play with the electronics and stuff like that. I could really get into that. Yeah, I could totally see you doing that. I'll also say that um, you should respect the stuff you have, actually have some pride and take care of the things that you have so that they last. Mm-hmm. That includes you know, your, your house, your car. Um, that includes your relationships, your business, your career skills, like all those things. Most things are harder to acquire than they are to keep in one piece. Yeah. And so, you know, kind of plan things around that. And when making a purchase, um, just in purchasing in general, try to buy less and focus on quality of what you're buying. You know, there's some things that you're just, you're going to buy a lot of. Uh, I mean, I buy a lot of Cliff Bars because I eat them like they're my travel snack, stuff like that. 
you know, there's there are some things you're going to buy in quantity because that's just the way it is. You know, guitar players are going to have a lot of picks. That's just reality, you know, but I'm not going to go buy a bunch of cheap guitars. I would rather save up and buy a, a few very nice guitars. Yeah, there's nothing more expensive than cheap equipment. Yeah. I mean, we we started off with hundred dollar USB microphones and we worked our way up. I mean, we don't even have top of the line equipment. We've got decent equipment that is quality. Yeah. And we didn't ever start with like a ten dollar microphone yeah. because you know it's gonna create frustration and frustration is expensive mm-hmm. too. Like it makes you make dumb decisions. Yeah. Just be really careful about the things you purchase because they can cause you problems down the road and it's better to spend the money to get something that doesn't. So guys, wealth is more than money. It's found in a life full of friends, families, and experiences. Uh, How you use your money, whether you have a lot or a little, can help you have a rich, wealthy life even without having a ton of cash sitting around. These are just a few things to help you to better understand and to think about the money you have. Put it to work for you to make a better and happier life. We want to give a special thanks to Level Up Financial Planning, not only for sponsoring this episode, but uh, to Lucas, especially for being patient with us, with me, as I dealt with my near accident this past weekend. He was very understanding. And guys, he will treat you with the same kindness and respect when working to help you make the most of your money. That pretty much wraps us up. Uh, Will, what do you have for us this week for Tricks of the Trade? Well, I, uh, I kind of want to echo a point you know, that you made earlier about buying quality. Um, this is something I think a lot of software developers don't do enough of or don't do in the right way as far as the way that they handle just you know their code, right? You're buying quality code with time. Hack together solutions are extremely expensive. Now, there's plenty of hack together stuff that works well enough for right now, right? Like it's like buying a car because, hey, I've got to get around versus buying a quality car because I want to not always be in the shop, right? Those are two different life situations. Um, and sometimes you're writing code for the former case because you're broke, um, you know, from a uh, technical debt perspective. But be really careful about the stuff that you build and try to get it to the point where it is stable and its cost of ownership is low and the quality is high. That will make it where you can make better long-term decisions and you'll have a better code base. And, you know, we, we beat the drum on this all the time. This is why it's better to write a little code that actually works really, really well than to try to write a lot of code that halfway works and creates maintenance points. That's all I got. If you have a question or comment, please email us at neckbeards at completedeveloperpodcast.com. Our theme music is an excerpt from Standby for Titanfall by Pure Bells, available on SoundCloud and licensed through Creative Commons. The intro music for IOTs is Hillbilly Hip Hop by Jason Belcher. For references, show notes, and to sign up for weekly emails with extra tips and insights, be sure to check out the website at completedeveloperpodcast.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at CompleteDevPod and like our page on Facebook to keep up with news about the show. Catch us each week as we broadcast live, talking about what's going on in the tech world and answering listener questions. Learn more about all of our shows and groups by going to CompleteDevelopernetwork.com where you'll find links to Junior Developer Toolbox, Developer Launchpad, and our other communities. Thanks for listening. See you next time.